following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing. Um, Ecclesiastes tells us this. Our lives tell us this. I mean, we love, we do, we love the idea of new and the idea of novel. But yet it just takes a quick, brief look in history to realize there is nothing new under the sun. And as true as this is for all of us in our lives, it is especially true for the gospel preacher or someone who preaches and teaches scripture and wants to do it faithfully. There is nothing new under the sun. And for all of our attempts to try to find the new, the fresh take, the fresh look on this, the fresh perspective on this to see things in a new you know, way and all of our attempts for that, we see in scripture, um, all throughout scripture, that the power of the gospel is not found in novelty. It, it, it's found in Christ. It's found in the gospel, um, as Jude says, that is once for all delivered. Um, in fact, Jude in, in chapter 1 verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. See, church, although we pray that the Spirit would, would fall in a fresh way, we pray that we preach the gospel once for all delivered. And, and as a, a gospel preacher, it's not about the new and the novel. And as a, as a hearer of the gospel, we're not searching after new or novel. Instead, we're drawn back to, back to the truth. We who are prone to wonder are drawn back to the truth once for all delivered. Um, the, the power of God for salvation is the gospel. We don't need novelty. We need clarity. We don't need new. We need to proclaim and repeat. Proclaim and repeat. Proclaim and repeat. And that is what this morning is all about. That's what this text is all about. So over the next two weeks, we are going to be in Romans. Specifically, we're going to be looking at this, this text of Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. It's just too good, just too good to cram into one week. And plus, plus, next week is Mother's Day weekend. And so I want to save my favorite verse in all of scripture. I don't say that lightly. In all of scripture, Romans 3.26, I want to save that for Mother's Day. So that's where we're headed. And so this morning, we are going to start into this scripture together. And as we do, let's just take a moment and let's read it together. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward 
as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, well, we are not going to waste any time this morning because there's just too much here. I want to dig real quick into the first two verses. Let's dig together and in, in, in start with verse 21 here that says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All right, so here's the question. What's the main point of these verses? Well, the main point of these verses is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. See, the righteousness of God is perfect. The righteousness of God is perfectly good all the time. Um, he is never less than perfect. He is never less than righteous. His righteousness is perfect, complete, lacking nothing. It's the righteousness of God. And by the way, the righteousness of God, this is really important, is not just his, his business, his work, what he is and what he does. No, the righteousness of God is also his standard. His standard, it's the standard. It's the standard by which we all will be judged. All of us will be judged the, the perfect in the, by the perfect and the righteous judge. I mean, this is overwhelming as we, as we think about that, is it not? I mean, how can you and I possibly stand under that? That's the perfect righteousness of God. It's who he is. It's his standard by which he judges all mankind. And this verse is going to tell us three really important things about the righteousness of God. First, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The word manifest here is, is a word that means to make visible, to make known, um, to, to reveal. So the righteousness of God has been made known, made visible, and how was it made visible? Well, it was apart from the law, meaning it wasn't through keeping all the law. It, it wasn't through the sacrifices, the Torah, that we see the righteousness of God. It wasn't through that. It was apart from that. Now, to the Jew, this would have been absolutely scandalous. I'll talk about that more here in a bit. But here, Paul is clear. The righteousness of God, God's perfect standard, is seen, is not seen or made manifest through the law. The second thing is that Paul continues in this and says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. To bear witness to something is to affirm or to attest to something. So here Paul says, the law and the prophets, they affirm, they attest to the righteousness of God. Meaning, they are not irrelevant. 
They are not irrelevant. Meaning, let's get real specific here. You can't take your Bible and just divide it like this and throw out the Old Testament. You can't do that because Paul says the law, the Torah, the prophets, the writing, the Old Testament, they attest to the righteousness of God. They affirm it. In other words, the law does not earn the righteousness of God. It affirms the righteousness of God. This, this is huge. This is huge. And it leads us to the third thing that we need to see here about the righteousness of God. So, so one, the righteousness of God is, is made visible apart from the law. Two, the law doesn't earn, but it affirms the righteousness of God. And then three, Paul says this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God, the perfection of God, the perfect standard by which he will judge. The righteousness of God, that righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all who believe, meaning that for all who believe here, the word faith is is the word for, for trust. So all who believe and trust, not in themselves, in their ability to earn it, not in themselves, but all who believe and trust in Christ, who has earned it, by the way, will be the righteousness of God. Will be the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is the perfect righteousness of God, and he, and he alone, satisfies the standard. And now all who believe in him and trust in him will be given Christ's righteousness, the perfect righteousness of God. They will be given that. Church, this is why is it, it is absolutely absurd. <laughs> Just absurd to think that we could earn our salvation or, or uh, that it could be earned through our own works. It's absurd. I want to make the most obvious statement of the morning. You ready for the obvious statement of the morning? You and I cannot be perfect. It's, I know that's not surprising. You and I cannot be perfect. Many have gone before us. Millions, trillions, billions of human beings have gone before us and, and not one of them, not one, is righteous apart from Jesus Christ. Not one of them yet in the enemy's scheme here, he wants you to believe that although everyone else couldn't do it on their own, that somehow you can do it on your own through your works. And this is just absurd. It's absurd. Or the second thing the enemy might want you to believe is that God will somehow grade on a bell curve in all this. That, that since no one can earn it and no one's getting it right, that God will somehow lower his standards And scripture says a resounding no. No, you can't earn it. No one ever has. And no, God is not going to lower his standards in order to accommodate the fact that no one's reaching it. No, instead God made a way and that way is Jesus Christ and that way is faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And because of this, Paul says this, he says, for there is no distinction 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Church, this is so, so rich. First, because it is not me and it's, it's not you and it's not our righteousness, because of that, there is absolutely, Paul says, no distinction. No distinction. It's like we talked about last week, the fact that we, apart from Jesus, are dead. Dead, dead. Right? That you, that you are not less than dead or more dead or a little dead or mostly dead, that you are dead and that you're not more dead than anyone else and you're not less dead than anyone else because dead is dead. And apart from Christ, we are, we're, we're dead. And, and Paul here places us all on the same level, dead. He places us, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is again about the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God that is perfect, never less than perfect, that it is perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing, the perfect righteousness of God that is who he is and also his standard by which he judges all mankind. Um, I asked earlier, how can it be that, that we could stand under that? How is it possible for us to, to stand under that reality? Well, Paul here answers that. We can't. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is, fall short of the perfect righteousness of God. We all fall short. And in light of that, Paul says, we are justified by his grace as a gift, meaning we cannot earn it. You don't earn a gift. You earn a wage. And Paul's going to tell us later what the, the earnings or what the, the wage is going to be for what we have earned, and that is death. But grace, you don't earn that. It is a gift. It is a gift that is given. And let's read about this gift that was given. Paul says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be revealed by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. The word propitiation here is probably not a word that you and I probably use all that much in our everyday vocabulary. Um, but here in this text, church, it is an important, an important word. It is a significant word that carries so much weight. So it's important for us to understand and here's how we can understand this word. Propitiation is the initiative taken by God 
the initiative taken by God to remove the impediments to a relationship with himself. It's the initiative taken by God, meaning it's God's action. He is the first mover. It's the initiative taken, the act taken by God, where he removes the impediments to a relationship between him and I, between you and him. That he removes the impediments for that. And what, church, are those impediments? Well, Paul just told us, he says, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. Church, the impediment is your sin. The impediment is your sin and unrighteousness in light of the perfect righteousness of God. This is the impediment and something, church, had to be done to rectify that or there would be no relationship. There would be no salvation. You cannot meet his standards because God can never be less than perfect. He can never be less than himself. He's not, he cannot lower his standards because no one can meet them. Instead, church, God gives us this gift, the gift of propitiation in his grace, where he, the perfect one, intervenes and removes the impediment He removes the impediment of your sin in order that you might enter into a real relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Church, this right here, this is a Selah moment. You know, those, the, 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 in the Psalms, the, those times, the psalmist will just drop this glorious truth on you and then leave that word Selah, meaning just sit, um, reflect, Breathe, take it in, meditate on that. It's Selah, right? Church, this is a Selah moment. Think about, look at what your God has done, how perfect, how glorious he is. Take it in, look to Christ at what he has done, the gift of propitiation. Let's just have a Selah moment right here. Oh, Church, there are four things. There are four things here about this gift that I want us to dig into from this text this morning. Four things about the gift of propitiation. The first is is we understand who gave it. Who gave it? Who is the giver of this gift? Paul says it was God who put forward It was God who put forward. It was God who gave this gift that God is the writer, that God is the author, that God is the first mover. It is God who put forward the plan of salvation. In other words, this is not an invention of man. It's not the invention of man and it is not the work of man. It is the plan of God and it is, church, the act of God. The giver of the gift is God himself. The second question here that we understand is, how was it given? How it is given. Propitiation is the act taken by God, 
right? To remove the impediments of, to a relationship with himself. And how did he remove those impediments, church? By his blood. By his blood. This is, is, is something that they would have understood well, by the way, um, for thousands of years. Um, they would, have, especially the Jewish people, would have, the people of God would have been practicing in the sacrificial system. That means for thousands of years, uh, the people of God, when they sinned, there was blood. It was a vivid reminder to how gross and weighty sin really is. It's this vivid reminder. Um, there would, it would lead, a way to think about this is, is sin would lead to the literal death of a, of a living creature. Um, there would be blood running down the altar. And they, especially the Jews, would have understood this perfectly. Yet in all of the sacrifices, in all of the sacrifice, they couldn't atone. Yet, I, I know it pointed to the atonement, but they themselves, in and of themselves, could not atone no matter how perfect the animal was, no matter how blameless the sacrifice was they couldn't ultimately fix the problem. And so more and more animals were sacrificed. More and more blood was spilled. And it was in this that, that Paul says, God put forward as propitiation by his blood, meaning it's not the goats, it's not the bulls, it's not the birds. No, God has sent his very son, the perfect and spotless lamb who would offer his own blood. He is the perfect spotless lamb. He is righteous. See, God did not lower his standards for you to reach them. God reached his standards for you or on your behalf at a great cost. At a great cost. Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. Meaning it was his work that removes the impediments to a real relationship with your God. It was his work. So we understood, we understand who gave it. We understand how it was given. And three, we understand how it is received. How it is received. See, Paul is very clear here. He says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received. By faith. We receive this gift of grace, this gift of propitiation, church. We receive it by faith. By faith, trusting in Christ and not in ourselves. It is all about faith. And, and, and scripture says that faith comes through hearing the word of God. And so here we hear and we believe God's word. We believe what God has has told us about himself. 
We believe, we trust what he has told us about ourselves. We believe, we trust ultimately what he's told us about our world and what he has told us about Jesus Christ, his son. We hear it and we, we believe it. We place our trust, our faith, not in ourselves, but in him. And scripture says that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is about faith. In other words, as we believe in him, as we believe, as we trust in Christ, we, we are saved. We are saved. The impediment, aka your sin, that impeded our relationship with him, church, by the grace of God, through the power of Jesus Christ and his work alone, the impediment is gone. The impediment is gone because one, one, in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. There's forgiveness of all your sins, big, great, all of your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. That's the first thing. And the second thing is in that in Christ, through him, you are not only forgiven, but you are given the perfect righteousness of Christ. You're given Christ. So so your sins are forgiven and through Jesus and you are made righteous through Jesus. Church, this is really good news. This is really good news. It is about the righteousness of God through Christ who actually, in Christ, church, I want you to take this in. We actually become, scripture says, the righteousness of God. Just take that in. How incredible is that? So here's what we've seen. We've seen one. We've seen who gave it. Who gave this gift? And that's God himself. We've seen two. We've seen how it was given. And and that was by the blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Number three, we've seen how it was received. And and we've seen that it it is by faith and faith alone. The fourth thing here and the last thing I want us to see is the why. Why was it given? Well, Paul answers this in verse 25. Verse 25 says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Why was this gift given? Why was it given? To show God's righteousness to show God's righteousness. It is not about me. The universe does not revolve around me. Creation has but one center, and that center is its creator, not me and not you. See, we are reminded here that the gift was given not to showcase ourselves, to say, look at us, look at us, look who we are, look, we are the elect, look, God chose us, you know. No, Paul here is so clear that the gift was given to showcase the perfection, the goodness, the righteousness of our God. To say, look at him, Look at how good he is. Look at him. Look to him. That is why this gift was given. See, at the beginning, um, we said, you know, the righteousness of God is perfect, right? That he is never less than perfect. That he is never less than good all the time. 
and, and that his righteousness is perfect, it's complete, it's lacking in nothing. And, and not only is that who he is, but it is his standard. And, and in this, what Paul has just laid out here, in this, we see the greatest joy and fulfillment that we could possibly know is not found in us, but found in him. It's not found in us, it is found in him. The gift that God gives through the blood of Jesus Christ that we receive by faith is given to showcase the righteousness of our God, which is just absolutely incredible to take in. We who were dead, dead in our sins, we who are not righteous, are called out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. The point of all of this is the marvelous light, church. The marvelous light. When we make ourselves a sinner, we miss the entire point. We we miss it. See, although the gospel changes us and radically changes our lives and leads us to fulfillment and satisfaction and life eternally and abundantly, although that is true, and praise God, that is true. Praise God, it is true. But the center of the gospel church is not you. It is not us. It's to look up and it is to behold to look up, to behold him. As we take all this in this morning, knowing that we're gonna come back to this next week, um, I'd like to end it by echoing Paul's own words here because this is really the cry of my heart. I'm gonna let, I believe that, that what Paul is about to say, what I'm about to read is really our application this morning. I started out by saying there's nothing new under the sun for a gospel preacher. Well, this morning, we're going to let preacher Paul here give us our application for our our text and our time um, this morning. So would you you read with me? This comes from 2 Corinthians, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 5. I just want you to just hear this. Listen to what Paul says here. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, that is Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Church, look to Christ. Place your faith in him. Place your faith, trust him as your Lord and as your Savior. And as Paul says, be reconciled to your God. Be reconciled. God took the initiative to remove the impediment of your sin so that you can have a real relationship with our God. Be reconciled to your God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, would you open our eyes to how bad we are and to how good you are? And would you call us to 
yourself? Would you hear us as we cry to you? And would you, as your word says, reconcile us? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.